0: So today we're going to tackle the exciting sugya of what kind of foods you have to eat in the sukkah, under what circumstances you have to eat in the sukkah, and uh, what type of foods are you actually able to eat outside of the sukkah. relevant whether you're traveling, or not traveling. Normally, you're in the house, you want to know if you can take a bite, are you allowed to do it or not. So the gemara starts on Chavava and Aleph, it's a short gemara. The Gamal in the Mishnah, really, on HaYam and Aleph, starts at the end of the third case of the Mishnah, says, A person is able to eat and drink in a non-fixed way, in a quick way, a quick bite, outside of the sukkah. Now, before we discuss anything, what defines fixed eating as opposed to non-fixed eating? So it's very, very clear that the Mishnah discusses two different topics. It discusses eating in a fixed way, as opposed to a not fixed way, it discusses drinking also, uchlin So This is an important thing to remember, that the implication from the Mishnah is that both eating and drinking, theoretically, can be done in a fixed matter, but if they're not done in a fixed matter, then you're able to do it outside of the sukkah. So the Gemara starts off, in Aleph, Kama, how much of a quantity of food has to be eaten, and eaten in order for it to be considered, Not fixed. A non-fixed, a temporary eating. Rav Yosef answers, two or three egg-sized portions of food uh, is what you're able to eat. So Amr the Yabai, asks on Rav Yosef, There are times, there are a lot of times where people suffice with two or three eggs worth, egg size worth of food, and that sustains them, that's the whole meal. And if that's true... That should qualify as a fixed meal and therefore be obligated in sukkah. So, what constitutes a chilas a temporary eating? As much, Rashi explains, as much as a person eats, if they're running to go and hear a shear in the basement, jish, and he's worried that the shear is going to go too long and he's not going to be able to wait for breakfast, so he grabs a mouthful. That mouthful is what constitutes and achilas Arai, according to Abaye. So let's see Rashi real quick, just to get an understanding of the suya, and then we're going to have to break into the suya, try to ask him a few questions here. So Rashi says, Tartea um, Talas, right? Rav Yosef's original explanation of what constitutes achilas Arai is two or three egg sizes. Rashi says, Two or three times he puts in his mouth. So this is very interesting, right? Rashi doesn't say, Boy, literally, which means eggs, means the size of an egg. Rather, Rashi says, two or three times he could put the food in his mouth. We're going to have to know why Rashi ch- changed from the normative translation of the Gemara. The next thing, kala," his explanation, Babokar, in the morning, when he's going to the Beis Midrash to learn, and so he's worried, The drush is going to take a long time, but to e piv So he takes a mouthful, literally a mouthful, to e piv of food and drinks. He has a cup of coffee. So there, that's called Achilles Arai. Now, something also very interesting to point out in the Gemara right away, is the Gemara starts off, the Kama Achilles Arai. It starts off asking how much constitutes an Achilles Arai. You know, I would have started off saying, is there a difference between what types of food? Are there certain types of food? which qualifies Achilles Arai, and there are certain types of food, which are, which are meal-type foods, and if they're meal-type foods, the only time you consume them is in a fixed fashion, whereas there are other types of foods, which are on-the-go kinds of foods, and those kinds of on-the-go kinds of foods would constitute Achilles Arai. The Gemara jumps straight to the Kama Achilles Arai. So I think this Ha'ara, this note that I just spoke on right now, might be the impetus for Rashi to explain two or three, not to mean eggs, but two or three mouthfuls. Because I would propose as follows: inasmuch as the Gemara never asked what type of food we're talking about, it could be the Gemara assumed that we're talking about bread. Bread is a staple of every diet, and if we're talking about bread, then the Gemara wants to know. The Gemara asks how much constitutes how much bread constitutes an achilas Ara? and not a non temporary meal, not a fixed meal, right? So there, the Gemara answers two or three kebetzas. Now we know that if, even if a person eats a kazayas of bread, which is a half to a third of a kibetza, depending on your different opinions in the early commentaries, so there, a person already has to bench. That constitutes a meal, according to halacha. Now, that's on a rabbinic level. On a Deraisa level, on a Torah level, it could be if you eat one kibetza, that already constitutes a meal and obligates you to say, birka mi midaraissa. So Rashi was very bothered. How could it be that the Gemara is proposing that you're eating two or three kebetzahs worth of bread, and nonetheless that's called an achilas aray. It's called a non-fixed cons- consumption. That's not called a serious consumption. That's not a meal. That's a snack. How could that be halachically? That's viewed as a meal. So therefore, maybe that explains why Rashi varied and he said two or three didn't mean egg-sized portions of bread. Rather, he meant two or three bites. Two or three bites that constitutes a snack. But obviously that's going to be much less than two or three egg-sized portions of bread. So now that we saw this, there's a few questions that have to be asked now. Question number one is, very good, it's not a fixed eating, but at the end of the day you're eating. So how come in a non-fixed eating, in a snack, so there a person's exempt from sukkah, whereas when it comes to a fixed eating, a person sits down, have a meal, then he's obligated to sit in sukkah. What's that distinction? That's number one. Number two is what defines achilas arai? If what we just, just said is true, that even when it comes to bread, so that's what the, the amount of food is what constitutes achilas arai. That's what defines something as achilas arai. So that's true only when it comes to bread. What happens if you're not eating bread? Is there any, con- is there any concept of having a fixed meal of things besides bread? Or no, if it's not bread, then you can always have it outside of the sukkah. That would be another question. A third question would be, so what happens when it comes to drinking? This is the only Gemara in Masecha Sukkah which deals directly with this concept of Achilles Arai. So that's true. So the Gemara never discusses drinking. How come the Gemara never discusses drinking explicitly? So those are all questions we're going to have to touch upon. But before we start breaking into it, I want to see another Mishnah. The Mishnah is on Chavava Maze 26b. The Mishnah says as follows, There was an incident that people brought Raviyachanah ben Zakkai, you know, they were cooking up in the kitchen, something for Cholamayit Shabbos, sorry, and they wanted him to taste the food. That was one incident. And they brought to Raviyachanah ben two different figs, two, they brought two figs, and a whole bucket full of water, Va'amru and both of them, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai, and Rambam said, "Hearlum la sukkah, bring them up to the sukkah. Right? I don't want to eat outside of the sukkah. I want to. I want to eat specifically in the sukkah." Okshenitnu the tzadlik, but now they went to give food to Rabbi Tzadok. He ate less than an egg-sized portion. Not l'ubamapan. When he took the bread that he was eating, he took it with a a napkin. He didn't hold the bread directly and he ate it outside of the sukkah and he didn't make a bracha achrona because he didn't eat enough which constituted, which mandated him to do so so this is a very interesting Mishnah the Mishnah is he's tasting he's tasting some kind of food a taste he's not having a real meal he's tasting it and Rebbe Gamliel is having two figs now the question is that for sure constitutes a that's, that's a that's a snack that's not a fixed meal So that's that's true. Why are they bringing that up to the sukkah? Now, whatever the reason is that they're bringing it up to the sukkah, we're going to have to address the inverse. So once they felt that it was necessary to bring it up to the sukkah, so how come Rabbi Sadok didn't feel like it was necessary and he ate the food in a way outside of the sukkah? So there would be two different approaches here to go ahead and understand this question. And the basic approaches. Approach number one would be that even though... There's no obligation for a person to eat achilas arai out, out inside the sukkah nonetheless if they choose to eat achilas arai inside of a sukkah nonetheless they fulfill an, a mitzvah in other words if a person's having a meal they're having a fixed uh, session of eating they're going to sit down and you know dig in so in that is an obligation to eat in the sukkah, and it's forbidden not to eat in the sukkah. Whereas, according to this explanation, it would come out that if a person's having a snack, they're not obligated to go into the sukkah, but if they elect to do so, nonetheless, they fulfill a mitzvah. And that would explain the, the actions of the Yochanan Medzakeh and Rebbe Gamliel. We'd have to address why did Rebbe Tzadok not choose to do so, that would be one approach. The other approach is that really when it's since it's achilas arai, there's actually no mitzvah whatsoever to eat inside of the sukkah achilas arai. And if you do so you don't get a mitzvah. But nonetheless, there's some kind of rabbinic preference to do so. What that rabbinic preference would be, we would have to explain. And we'd have to understand we have to understand why Rabbi Tzadok didn't give credence to that rabbinic preference also. So those are two questions. So our two general questions yeah, that we have to address if we want to try to summarize everything that we're trying to understand up until this point is number one, is what constitutes a chilas aray? What's the nature of that exemption? And our second discussion topic would be is there a mitzvah to eat chilas aray inside of a sukkah or not? So I'm going to start with source four on the source sheet. It's Rambam in Hilchus Sukkah, Perek Vav Halach Avav, and this is the language of the Rambam. Ochlin v'shosn v'shenu v'sukkah kol shiva. We eat, drink, and sleep in the Sukkah all seven days. Bein bayom, bein balayla, whether it's day or night. Va'asr la'echol sudachutz la'sukkah kol shiva. And it's forbidden to eat a meal outside of the Sukkah all seven days. Ela'im kein, unless Achal achilis arai k'beitza o'pachos a'yosemaat. Unless he eats... Uh, an Now, how does he define an echilas arai The size of an egg, or a little more, or a little less. the and you can't sleep outside of the sukkah. Even, uh, a even a nut a temporary sleep, a small a quick cat nap. mayim, and it's permissible to drink water. and to eat fruit chutz the sukkah. Says the Rambam, and a person who's stringent upon himself, and he doesn't drink outside of the Sukkah, even water, that's praiseworthy. Now, this is a very interesting expression, right? He says, if a person is stringent upon himself and doesn't drink even water outside of the Sukkah, that's praiseworthy. Now, if we have two different options here to explain why would it be that a person would drink water inside of a sukkah if that constitutes shtiyas aray, achilas aray? So then we had two ways to go, right? Either there's a mitzvah still, nonetheless there's a mitzvah, even though there's not an obligation, or because there's a rabbinic preference. Now, if there was a fulfillment of a mitzvah through having an having achilas arai in a sukkah, I'd want the Rambam to use a different expression to convey that message. He should say, He shouldn't say, that's praiseworthy. He should tell us that, no, even though it's not obligatory, nonetheless, you still fulfill the mitzvah. The fact that the Rambam didn't express that if you have a chilas arai in the sukkah, you fulfill the mitzvah, that would imply to me that the Rambam understands that there's actually no fulfillment of uh, a mitzvah while having a chilas arai in the sukkah. So if that's true, what would be that rabbinic preference? Why would it be that Chazal would say, you know what, even though you're not obligated to have a chilas arai inside of the sukkah, nonetheless we prefer you to do so. So in order to answer this, I brought you a sholah A is one of the um, primary responses, it was written in the 1800s, and there's probably, you know, 12, 14 different krochim, 14 different volumes of the, of the sefer. And he says here a fascinating idea. He says that Chazal had an interest for a person to specifically eat all of their food during sukkah inside of a sukkah. Why? Because if a person gets used to having their snacks outside of the sukkah, so now they'll you know, be cooking dinner and they won't remember and all of a sudden they'll realize that they're eating their dinner inside of their house as opposed to the sukkah. But if during the entirety of sukkahs they don't consume anything outside of a the sukkah, then it mitigates that concern that they might end up eating a real meal which the Torah obligates them to eat in the sukkah. They won't end up eating that outside of the sukkah. And that's why Rav Yochanan Medzakai and Rav Gamliel, according to the Shola Went up to the Sukkah even to eat Achilles Arai because of this rabbinic concern. Now, ask the Sholem Eishiv, if that's true, there's a real rabbinic concern here. How come Rabbi Tzadok didn't do that also? You should also be concerned that a person is going to end up eating a real meal outside of his Sukkah because he's used to eating outside of his snacks outside of his Sukkah. Says the Sholem Eishiv, that's exactly why Rabbi Tzadok ate in such an interesting way. Let's revisit the Mishnah. What is the Mishnah saying? It said that Rabbi Tzadok ate less than an egg size worth, and when he was eating it, he ate it with a napkin. He didn't even touch the bread. So the halacha is that a person only washes netiles yadayim for bread with a bracha when they eat an egg size portion or more. Even though you have to say birkas hamazon on a rabbinic level for a kazayas, which is smaller, you only have to wash netiles yadayim with a bracha when it comes to eating an egg-sized portion, and since he ate less than that, while holding a napkin, explains the Sholem that works as a reminder that he's not eating normally right now. He's actually eating in quite an abnormal fashion. And since he's doing actions to remind himself he's eating in an abnormal fashion, then under that pretext, said Rabbi Tzadok, I don't have to go up to the sukkah to make sure that I don't go over this rabbinic desire of ensuring that I don't have a meal outside the sukkah, even if I don't do that, nonetheless this interesting way of eating mitigates that concern. So that would be the Sholem Eshev's approach. Now according to the Sholem Eshev, we have to understand the nature of the Mishnah on Davchot Aleph. The Mishnah says You can eat and drink in a, in a temporary way, in an unfixed way outside of the sukkah. According to the Sholomeshiv, that's not true. That's only true on a Duraisa level. But on a Durabanan level, how, it's not true. You have to actually eat in the Sukkah. It's Asamid awesome Durabananatu. So if I was to look at the Mishnah on Chathayim and Aleph, it's very misleading according to the Sholomeshiv. According to the Sholomeshiv, the Mishnah is not correct. Halacha is even, even a Chilas Arai would have to eat in the Sukkah. So how can the Mishnah say such a thing? So the way I would try, I would try to answer for the Sholomeshiv, is that we could use Rabi Tzadok. Rabbi Tzadok is the proof that if you eat in a fashion, that there's a built-in reminder in the structure of how you're eating, so then, in a Hanami, you could actually eat chilas Aray chutzmina sukha outside of the Sukkah, even after this rabbinic decree. So that's one approach here. That would be the approach of the Rambam and the Sholem meshiv that there's no mitzvah if you have chilas Aray outside of the Sukkah, but... There is a rabbinic push, there's a rabbinic decree that you have to do so, lest you come to eat a meal outside of the Sukkah also. The other approach we find, also in one of the Akhrinim, the Vilna Gon wrote a commentary on Seder Zerayim. Seder Zerayim is all the laws, agricultural laws. So on the Mishnais which discuss those agricultural laws, the Vilna Gon wrote a commentary. The commentary is called Shnos yahu So there... The he says as follows. It's in source six. In a few places, Chazal teaches us that if a person's absolved from doing a certain mitzvah and he does it nonetheless, he's called he's referred to as a fool. And In other places we found, even if a person's exempt from a mitzvah, he must say well, if he does it, it's a mitzvah It's a beautiful thing. So how could it be? Either if a person's absolved from doing a mitzvah and he does it, make up your mind. Either he's a fool or it's a beautiful thing. Which one is it? Says the Gaon, And it seems, Anything which is the performance of a mitzvah. But circumstantially, Chazal said that under those circumstances he doesn't have to do it if nonetheless he performs the mitzvah under those circumstances, we still give him the reward as if he did a mitzvah min Now comes along the goon and gives examples. And similarly, that's what they said in sukkah. They would be stringent upon themselves to even drink water inside the sukkah right, or even if someone was traveling, and he didn't want to drink until he came to the sukkah. So according to the Vilna Gon, this is our first source we're seeing, that the reason why a person would want to go ahead and make sure that they drink water even inside of a sukkah is because even though they're not obligated to, nonetheless they still fulfill a mitzvah by doing so. So that would be an explanation for Ibn Gamliel and Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Now if that's true, so what happened to Rabbi Tzadok? How come Rabbi Tzadok didn't go ahead and do the same thing? Why didn't he drink in the sukkah? So the Ritva, I think, is bothered by this question. The Ritva is in Surah 7. And in the second excerpt from the Ritva, Devar Maisa, he says, The Gemara explains, The the Mishnah wasn't hundred percent full, and this is really what it meant to say. Right? If a person wants to be machmor on himself and eat inside of the Sokhi is permissible. And he's not called a fool for doing something he's not obligated in. Now he doesn't explain why not, but let's see the continuation. And from the second half, where he explains Rabbi Tzadok, we'll be able to infer what he meant in the first half. And after we said this incident with the Vyachal Manzaki Liel, afterwards the Mishnah told us that Rabbi Sabrabhat that wasn't stringent upon himself, and he ate actually outside of the Sukkah. Lomar, and why do they tell us that? Why do they tell us that instance afterwards? If someone wanted to be not stringent upon it, Roshai, it's permissible. The And it teaches us that he's not; it's not considered like he's not careful about mitzvahs. Now, there's two things to learn here. Number one, that means that if a person has the ability to do a mitzvah, but it's not a mitzvah which is obligatory, it's only something which, if they do this action, they'll get reward for doing a mitzvah, but they're not obligated to do so, a person has a choice to, to choose, to elect whether or not they do it. Don't think just because I have the choice, I have to. No. If you want to, great. And if not, not. That's number one. But number two is that we see very, very clearly that the Ridva is assuming that there is a mitzvah. How do I know? Because the whole Chidosh of Rabi is if a person has the ability to do a mitzvah which is not obligatory, and they don't do it, it doesn't take away from their level, the spiritual level. But that implies that if he did choose to have his food, which was less than a kibaytza, inside of the sukkah, even though that constitutes achilas arai, nonetheless he would have fulfilled the mitzvah. And there we have an explicit source, not just in the achronim, not just in the vilnagon, but even already in the rishonim, we can source that there's a concept of fulfilling a mitzvah of achilah inside the sukkah, even though it's only a snack, it's not a bona fide meal. So in regards to that first question, we have two approaches now. One approach is that eating in the uh, snack, a non uh, temporary uh, eating inside of a sukkah is not a mitzvah. It's actually a rabbinic preference, a rabbinic necessity to make sure you don't come to have your meal outside of the sukkah. And that stance is taken by the Rambam and the Sholem Eishiv. Whereas the Vilnagon and the Ritva are of the opinion that if a person eats food inside of the sukkah, even though they're not obligated to, nonetheless, they still have a fulfillment of the mitzvah. They still have a fulfillment of the mitzvah of eating in the sukkah. So now that we have a clear understanding of the exemption of Chilas Arai, and what happens if you eat it inside of a sukkah, now we have to explore how do we define what constitutes a not-fixed meal, what constitutes a snack in regards to Hocha sukkah. So here in source 7, I brought you a rittvah, the Ritva says, You can eat and drink in a non-fixed way outside of the soka. Pirish, meaning to say, A person also eats a snack outside of his house. So it comes on the Ritva, and the, for sure, the starting point of the Ritva is that if a person was to go ahead and eat food, and this food he normally would eat outside of his house. He took a bag of chips. He would eat the bag of chips in the street also. So inasmuch as he, he would eat it outside of his house, so then he could also eat it outside of his sukkah. The reason why he's exempt from eating outside of the sukkah is because this is something he would eat outside of his house also. Meaning to say, there's a concept called teishu keintadurum. The sukkah only obligates you to live in it under the same pretext that you live in your house. And if you would eat this outside of your house, normally you can also eat it outside of your sukkah. That's how the Ritva starts explaining this concept of Echilas Arai. Now that is actually quite straightforward. The only problem is that the Ritva continues and in the next Deva Maschil, it's here, it's the last two lines in source 7, so it says the Ritva as follows, atavshel? That which we consider Echilas Arai just tasting a food, referring to the Mishnah on Chavava Beis, the incident with Rav Yevich and Zakai, says the Ritva, That's only because there wasn't so much of it. He didn't eat a lot. Right? But if he ate a lot, so then he would be obligated. Says the Ritva further, kli And when it comes to drinking water, that's considered like it's not a fixed meal, because water is not so important. Because there's no such thing as a fixed drinking when it comes to water. V'shar are other types of liquids. Except when it comes to drinking wine, a revius of wine, a of wine is about 3.5 ounces of wine. So then that's considered like k'va. So this is very, very interesting for multiple reasons. Number one, on the most basic level, the Ritva's explicit is something called kvah, a fixed drinking. A fixed drinking is three and a half ounces of wine or more. And this is our first source for such a concept. Besides our Diok in the Mishnah, our precise reading in the Mishnah, here we're seeing it explicit, a definition for that concept. Secondly, the other interesting thing here is how is he defining Achilles Arai? Achilas Arai in this part of the Ritva has absolutely nothing to do with what you normatively drink or eat outside of your house. Your usual consumption habits aren't the discussion topic here. Rather, the size and the quality of the food are the discussion topics here. So it seems at first glance that these two things are contradictory. The first Ritva says, whatever your normal consumption habits are, if you only consume in the house, that's called Achilles Kvaa. It's a fixed eating. And if you eat it even outside of your house, that would be considered a aray, a temporary eating, a snack. Whereas according to the second part of the ritva, it seems like the food inherently is defined as something which is fixed or not fixed. So that seems to be a contradiction. We're going to have to come back to that. Now, there's a me'iri here I brought you. The me'iri is in source 8. The me'iri says, You can eat and drink in a temporary fashion outside of the sukkah, because eating, arai, doesn't constitute eating, it's not called eating. Now, this is super interesting. What does that mean, arai, is not considered eating? We know that what's considered arai, right? We saw already that one kibetza is considered arai, we saw that. In uh, the Mishnah of Rabbi Tzadok, of one kibitz is called Arai. We pass the halacha. we'll see soon. The Shulchan Aruch says a says Arai. Now, if that's true, we know that a kazayas, an olive size, is smaller than an egg size. And yet, the Torah says that if a person eats a kazayas of food, which is prohibited to eat, he eats a kazayas of meat that wasn't shechted. So he's liable to get lashes. He gets malkas for such a thing. The Torah takes less than a kibetzah very, very seriously. That's called achilah. So how in the world could the Me'iri say that anything less than a, a kibetzah, achilas is doesn't consider it achilah? It's not true. That's question number one on the Me'iri. Secondly, the Me'iri, I didn't quote this part of the Me'iri, but the Me'iri in a different place says that if a person eats achilas arai inside of the sukkah, they make a bracha of the basukah. Wow. Unbelievable. A person eats a Achilles Arai and they make a bracha of Leshev? So we see multiple chidushim here. Number one is that there's a mitzvah of eating inside, of the, inside the sukkah, even for a Achilles Arai, according to the Meiri. Or else how could he make a bracha? So he is going to be put in the same camp as the ritva and the vilna go'n, that the reason why Rav Yochanan Madzaka and Rav ate the Achilas Arai in the Sukkah was because they wanted to fulfill a mitzvah. That's number one. But number two is that if a person is fulfilling a a mitzvah of Achilas Arai with Achilas Arai inside the Sukkah, that means that we take that Achilah very seriously. That Achilah actually is called Achilah. So, what then can the Me'iri mean when he he says this statement of Achilas Arai is not considered Achilah? So, I want to answer these two questions um on both on the Ritva and on the meiri with one principle the principle is as follows you know there's something called in in a classical yeshiva alumnus there's something called a, a, a hakira a hakira means a bifurcation of logic two different ways that we can explain a concept so right now i want to make a hakira The is as follows. The concept that we're discussing, which is the basis for our exemption, is teshu ke'intaduru. Right? Like the ritva says, a person's only obligated to eat in the sukkah the same way that they eat inside of their house. Now, when the ritva says that, is teshu ke'intaduru the reason why they're exempt? Meaning to say, is the reason why a person doesn't have to eat his potato chips inside of the sukkah, is because he eats potato chips outside of his house? That would be one way to say it. It's a reason. It's a siba. Or no. Is the fact that a person eats potato chips outside of his house uh, an indication that potato chips are considered an achilas aray? And since they're considered an achilas arai, therefore, that's going to cause him to be exempt from the sukkah. In other words, is the fact that he's eating he eats this food outside of his sukkah the reason for the exemption? Or is it indicative of the type of food it is? And once I can define the type of food that it is, automatically I can determine whether or not he's chayev or exempt in the sukkah. So I think that if we learn the second way, that Teshu Keim isn't the reason of the exemption, but rather it's indicative of the type of food that we're discussing here, then we can make sense of both the Ritva and the Me'iri. How? Comes along the Ritva and says, What's Psha in the Mishnah? A person can eat and drink in a non-fixed fashion outside of a sukkah. Pirish, coming to, meaning to say, As we find a person eats this food outside of his house. Now, how would we say that? And since he eats it outside of his house, that's indicative of the fact that it's a snack. And since it's a snack, he's not obligated in the sukkah. Now comes along the Redvan says, V'had <laughs> but now, Rav, Rav Yohanah ben Zakkai is tasting his dinner, and that's only a taste, right? So how come, but it's his dinner. So how come he doesn't have to eat that in the sukkah? How come he's not obligated? <laughs> That's not called a fixed meal because there's not so much here. And now, what are you going to say? He had a whole barrel of water, and a whole barrel of water, and he's drinking a ton. So there, that's chashiv That's still considered to be a non-fixed setting. But because water is not so important. Because there's no such thing as a kviyas, an established sitting on the consumption of liquids except for wine. So if that's true, our precedent, that the fact that a person consumes this food isn't the reason for his exemption, I'm sorry, the fact that this person consumes this food outside of his house isn't the reason for his exemption from sukkah, but rather it indicates to us the type of food, the category of food that he's eating, then the ritva works great. Similarly, comes along the ritva and says, eating outside of the sukkah doesn't constitute eating. And yet, if a person has a chilas arai outside of the sukkah, you, inside the sukkah, he fulfills a mitzvah. How could that be? The answer is, when the miiri says that a person who eats a chilas arai is, he can do it outside of the sukkah because it's not doesn't constitute eating. He means it's not an eating which is a fixed a fixed consumption. It's not a serious. It's not sitting down to a meal. This is a, an arai, This is a snack. is a grab. is a hit and run. This isn't a meal. This isn't satiating. And therefore, that's why he's exempt from sukkah. But it's not mean to say that we don't think that he's doing an act of eating. Obviously, he's consuming something. And therefore, the ritva in the same token can hold that if he eats that food, he does an action. Even though the circumstance doesn't obligate him to eat that in the sukkah, if he does elect to eat that food in the sukkah, nonetheless, he's going to fulfill a mitzvah. That would be the stance, that would be the way to go ahead and explain these two opinions. Now the Mishchaburah, the Shulchan Aruch says, he quotes the Rambam, he quotes the language of the Rambam in Source 9 while telling us the, the halachi and the sukkah. Let's see it inside together. A person eats, drinks, and sleeps in the sukkah all seven days, both day and night, he even can't take a catnap outside of the sukkah. But a person can eat an achilas Aray, a non-fixed meal, outside of his sukkah. How much is an Achilles Aray? An egg worth size of, of bread. Now this is very important. He says, an egg worth the size of bread. So this, I assume, he understood the Gemara like we did, that since the Gemara asked, the Achilles Aray? The Gemara knew from the onset that it was limited to bread and all other types of food were considered snacks. And it's permissible, says the to drink water and wine and eat fruit. Adds the Ramah, even if you make that a whole meal. Continues the Shechonaruch, all of this you can do outside of the Sukkah. So this halacha we're going to have to explain later on, what's that mean, you're kava alayhu, and yet nonetheless you're exempt from sukkah. But for our sake and purposes, continues the shulchan aruch, but if a person is stringent, and he doesn't drink outside of the sukkah, even water, it's very, very praiseworthy. It's very praiseworthy. Comes along the Mishnah Brer, the Chafetz Chaim, and comments, what's it mean, this achilas Arai? This is not important enough to obligate him in the sukkah. So from the onset, we see he's going the route of the Meiri. This is not a chash, this is not of This is not something which the type of food necessitates sukkah. Comes along now, the Mishabrun continues. And he says, because even if he is eating it, seriously. He eats this food outside of his house also. And therefore, it's not, it's not kva. It's a chiles aray. It's not a fixed meal. Now this is unbelievable, right? Ask the same question. How could you say that the type of food is the basis for the exemption and at the same time say that the reason you're exempt is because you eat this outside your house also? The answer is no. Our, our principle. That really, the, what determines whether it's a fixed meal or a snack is the type of food it is the way we consume it. Just whether or not you would eat this outside of your house is indicative of what type of food it is. And if this is something you would eat outside of your house, that reveals to us that it's not a meal. And therefore, you will be exempt from Sukkah. And comes along the Sharetzion. The Sharetzion is on the bottom of the Mishagurah where he sources his his halachic uh, stances. And his source is the Ritva. So, Baruch Hashem, we... Had we a mechaven to a ritvah, the way the Mishabrud and the Mitva, that the, whether or not a person would eat this in a, in a, inside his house or not is going to be indicative to the type of food we categorize it as. So now that we have a better understanding of what defines a fixed meal, a chiles kfar, a, raya, a snack, let's go in to see what constitutes sh'tias a raya, sh'tias kfar. What's the halach of drinking? So here, the Mishtabura, it's in source 12 in Sifkat Niyad Gimel, that brings two opinions about what's the halacha of drinking wine in or outside of the sukkah. So he says, That which the Ramah made an addendum to the Shulchan Aruch, Even if you have a fixed setting, you know, you invite, you know, your three of your closest friends to try a few bottles of wine in your house, or on sukkahs, you invite them over. So there, the Ramah would tell you, "It's kai It's also going on the wine that you don't have to drink that inside the sukkah. Like we could prove from the Darkei the Darkei is the Rama's commentary on the tour, which was the basis for his commentary in the Shulchan Aruch. The the logic of the Ramah is, "The wine is only considered halachically like eating eating fruit." The kol shekain shamashkin. And all the more so, other types of liquids, not the wine, are considered like Achilles Peri, and therefore, we don't have a concept of establishing a fixed meal on just fruit. It doesn't exist. Veda, but you should know, says the Mishnah Purim. There are later commentaries which actually disagree with this. Veda and their opinion is, Dimshu if you drank wine in a fixed way you invited your three friends over to try a few bottles. Therefore, you're obligated to sit in the sukkah. And specifically, if a group of guys got together to drink some wine, that's for sure an established setting. And according to the Mishnah Brura, you have to drink it in the sukkah. Now, that doesn't mean that you make a bracha bracha is a different discussion. It could be that a bracha you still wouldn't make because we hold suffic brachos the If we have a doubt whether or not you should make a bracha, so we tell you not to. It's better safe than sorry. But the reason for that is, is because you can fulfill a mitzvah even if you don't make a bracha. So if you're obligated in the sukkah, so you sat in the sukkah when you drank the wine and you fulfilled the mitzvah. But if you're not obligated and you made a bracha, that's a bracha levatolah. So here, you covered both your bases. So that's the Mishnabrurah stance, and his stance is based off the fact that if you were to actually have a group of guys get together to drink wine, that would go ahead and mandate that you sit in the sukkah to do so. so. Let's get a better understanding of what's going into this, yeah? So let's see the Birelach. The Birelach is the more expansive commentary of the Mishnabrurah on the Shulchan Aruch. And here he talks about wine, verse source 13 on the sheets, and he brings a proof for the opinion that you're obligated to drink wine in the sukkah. It's the third line in. He quotes a Gemara on Daf Chesam and Veiz. The Gemara there brings a brisa, A ton of rabbin, was taught, this age is taught, a person has to sit and dwell in the sukkah the same way they live normatively. And now how do they explain that? They eat and drink in the sukkah, meaning to say, that part of the brisa is that you drink in the sukkah. That's that, that's part of Teishu came to do. Vechin Rashi and similarly Rashi explained Bereish Perakay at the beginning of the second parak. Deikri Yeshiva Sukkah Achila The main fulfillment of the mitzvah of sukkah is eating, drinking, and sleeping in the sukkah. Ubesugian Mashmed Amada Amarim in Amliel Liniendlish mayim V'sukkah. And that which we saw in our Sugya, our Gemara, the Mishnah, Chavava Mudbeis, that according to him, went to drink, even though it was a barrel full of water, he said, bring it up to the Sukkah. That was just a stringency. Therefore, when it says what in the Braisa, that drinking is part of the Mitzvah Sukkah, that has to be referring to water, to wine, I'm sorry. Because water, we saw, even if you have a barrel of water, is just a halach extringency to bring it into the sukkah. So, what's obligatory? Says the Bishnabrura. It has to be that wine is obligatory in the sukkah. The mukach midas Rambam, and so to approve to you, it's not just a Mishnah, and it's not just a Rashi, but it's even the Rambam. How do I know? Because when the Rambam expresses what's permissible outside of the sukkah, he only mentions water is permissible outside of the sukkah. He never mentioned wine. If he said you could drink outside of the sukkah, that'd be one thing. But he says you're only allowed to drink water outside of the sukkah. If you're only allowed to drink water outside of the sukkah, the implication is wine has to be in the sukkah therefore, it must be, for in regards to wine, you're obligated in the Sukkah. Ella, but rather, we have to say still, they will pass the same way when it comes to bread, they, even though the type of food it is, is a, a, a meal type of food, they only obligated you to eat that in the Sukkah when you did it in a fixed fashion, you consumed it in a fixed fashion. So similarly... Similarly, when it comes to wine, it has to be in a fixed fashion. That's what it meant in the Mishnah. That specifically when it comes to eating and drinking, you're only allowed to do both of them, when it's not in a fixed setting, outside of the sukkah. But we can infer from here that a fixed setting of drinking would be aser, And that would, be only with, uh, that would only be with wine. So according to the Mishabrura, he's going very, very stark. He's going, saying very strong that when it comes to wine, he thinks for sure that that is going to be obligated to be to, to consume in a sukkah if you're drinking it in a fixed way. So we see here another manifestation of our principle in the Bir Halacha, meaning our principle of what what's it mean that when a, person's able to, when a person eats food outside of his house, so he's able to eat it outside of the sukkah, that is just a revelation of how we determine this type of food. So we see this again when it comes to this discussion of wine. Why? Because, according to the Bir Halacha, we would never, irrelevant of how much water you drink, your water is never considered kfah. We go based off the type of food. And yet, circumstance, if the guys come together and they all want to drink wine together and they make a you know a, a night out of it, the mishaburu says for sure they have to drink, in the sukkah. Why is that? Because inasmuch as those circumstances would never translate outside of the house, therefore that reveals to us that this man this type of consumption is not aray. Right. It's not something which is, you know, snack worthy. It's not a quick bite. But rather, it's, it's a fixed gathering. A fixed gathering has to be inside of the Sukkah. That would be another manifestation of this. Now, according to the Ramah, that's not true. According to the Ramah, when it comes to wine or fruit or anything of that nature, inasmuch it as it's not something which you could... It's not a meal food. Therefore, that always constitutes arai. The Ramah would disagree. And he would say that whatever a person eats, if it's not a, a, a meal food, it's not bread, so then then they're going to be exempt from sukkah. They won't be obligated. So if we go back to source 9, or source 9, the Shulchan Aruch, well, we skip the last line, I want to talk about the last line now. The last line says, If a person takes a food which was made from the five grains... So we're not talking about bread, we're talking about uh, you know, some kind of a kugel, or some kind of a, tcholant, a food that was made with one of the five grains. If a person makes a fixed meal out of it, that also constitutes an achilas kva v'tzarech sukkah. He has to eat in the sukkah. Meaning to say, over here we see the manifestation that even though you're not eating something, you're not eating bread, which inherently is a meal, if you're eating something which is a grain and you're eating it, you're consuming it in a fashion that it's a meal, that's going to qualify as a meal to obligate you in sukkah. It's going to mean a to obligate you in sukkah. So here there's a Maimar Mordechai. The Maimar Mordechai is one of the later commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch. And he wants to come and explain what's this mean if he eats it as a meal. What do you mean if he eats it as a meal? There's an amount here, there's not an amount here. Right? So it says the Maimar Mordechai. It's dependent on the person who's eating. Any time a person establishes a meal on this type of food, even though other people normally eat much more than that, nonetheless, for this individual, it's considered like a meal, and he is obligated to eat it in the sukkah, he even makes a bracha. After the Indian Passover, the of the and the that which is not true when it comes to benching, right? And when it comes to if a person eats a meal out of Rugalach, but it's not enough which would mandate him, you know, if a per- other people would eat Rugalach, they would eat much more than that for the meal. So that person, you might think, has to bench. It's not true. The halacha is in Shulchan Aruch that you only eat four But halacha, in regards to Sukkah, that you need what mandates you, what obligates you, what defines your eating as an eating of kviyas, of an established eating, is how you normally live. So kosha kveya love havi kviyas, not srichis sukkah. Any time that you would constitute you eat something that constitutes a normal meal for you, then it obligates you in sukkah. tell milsa, and it's totally subjective, it's irrelevant to other people. So here is a big big source. A very important source that when it comes to eating at least we'll start for now on the five grains if you're going to go eat them and make a meal out of it so says the member mm-hmm. Mordechai that becomes and you're obligated to eat that in the sukkah now there's two questions here question number one is what happens if I actually eat quite more than normal people and therefore what people normally eat as a meal I eat as a snack so would that obligate me to... Would the other people's actions obligate me to eat in the sukkah? Or would I say, no, this is a snack for me. Since it's a snack for me. That's still achilas aray. Question number one. Question number two. Is this limited to chamish minidagan? Is this limited to the five grains? What would happen if a person has meat and potatoes for dinner? Is he obligated to eat them in the sukkah? So in regards to the first question, it's simple that since the Shulchan Aruch told us explicitly that anything more than a kebet says achilas aray, is achilas kvam am sorry. So the member Mordecai wasn't coming to disagree with the Shulchan Aruch, he was coming to add astringency, that when a person, if he eats a meal, even though it's not bread, if he eats a meal, so then whatever that meal is for him, if it gets made of the five grains, it's the same ingredients as bread. So therefore, that obligates him in sukkah. So, for sure, if he's eating what a normal person eats, even though it's only a snack for him, he still has to eat that in the sukkah. Now, what about other types of food? Other types of food are not explicit. That's the truth. And therefore, if someone wanted to say, you know, I uh, want to eat potatoes and meat and rice, or you're an elderly person, and to get to the sukkah is very hard, and you only want to eat, you know, meat and potatoes and rice and that kind of thing, so then you could hear, that that never would qualify, that would never constitute an achil kva. But I could also hear the other way, that no, once whatever you eat as a meal is considered an achil kva, so then maybe our dietary habits changed. Maybe having, you know, meat and potatoes, you know, in Europe, maybe it was not so common, but for us, it's very, very normal. If that's true, you know, you have sushi for dinner. It could be that based off this Maimah Mordechai, you would have to eat that in the sukkah. So, I myself personally, my wife, you know, this is the past sukkah, she made one day homemade uh, rice and meatballs. So, even though it was very, very hot in the sukkah that day, so maybe, you know, dire, not dire, I wasn't in Steyr, but I was careful to bring that into the sukkah. I didn't want to eat that inside the house because of this Maimah Mordechai. But, some of my family members didn't want to eat in the sukkah. It was, I don't know if they were mamish and but it was hot outside, and the fan was rotating, so they didn't want to be in the sukkah. And I didn't say anything. I said, it's totally fine, you're allowed to. Why? Because the Maimah Mordecai could also understand this saying. that no, this whole stringency of what you consider a meal isn't totally subjective. It's only subjective in regards to it's only subjective in regards to the five grains. When it comes to other types of food, it wouldn't be subjective. Now, the last thing I'm going to talk about here today, we ran out of time to get to everything, is there's a sefer called Alich HaShthomo. Alich is written by Rishlem It's in Source 15. And he says here something so interesting. He says here, this is going to be a good way to bring out this idea that we're suggesting in the def- definition of achilas Arai. What do I mean to say? Ushalma Zaman says, what happens if a person's eating an apple? Now the apple is for sure peros, and according to Allah, that's a chilas arai. Now, what if a person is eating that apple and they happen to be standing next to their sukkah? So it comes along with Shaman and says a tremendous khidish. That inasmuch as if a person's eating food, so when is he willing to eat that in the street? That's only when he's far from home. But if a person is right next to his house and he wants to eat an apple, so obviously the person is going to go inside of his house to eat the apple. He's not going to eat it in the street. And therefore, if a person is eating an apple and he happens to be right next to his sukkah, therefore, he is obligated to eat that inside of his sukkah. It's forbidden, it's usr for him to eat that in the street. Unbelievable. So what's Rishlam assuming? Rishlam is assuming that the fact that I eat this outside of my house therefore I could eat it outside of my sukkah is not an indication of a type of food but rather that's the reason for the exemption if the whole basis of my exemption is that since I eat the apple outside of my house I could eat it outside of my sukkah also so if circumstantially I wouldn't eat this apple outside of my house so then in that circumstance I'm going to have to eat it inside the sukkah also and that's where Hashem is coming from according to our understanding that no Teshu to duro doesn't mean that since I'm eating the apple outside of my house I get outside of the sukkah it's not that it's that since I eat this apple outside of my house therefore that reveals that indicates that this apple is not something which I have a fixed engagement of eating I'm not consuming in a fixed fashion I'm on the go and since I'm on the go this is not the type of food which necessitates sukkah so then irrelevant of circumstance, I could be standing right next to my soka, and nonetheless, I'm not going to have to eat it inside. It's a very good practical uh, distinction that would come between those two different understandings, which I think we're bringing out, it would be the Mishra Buris stance, it would be the latter, not like Rosh Hashanah That even if you're eating an apple right next to your soka, nonetheless, you could eat it outside.